Episode numero dos. We uh, decided to have an encore performance after how well it was received by the handful of people that actually listened last week. And uh, by but, handful, you mean like baby hands handful? Still, yes. More than uh, more than we had thought. We're going to be tuning into the very first podcast, but first the worst, second the best. I think we're onto something good here. Let's keep the good times rolling. Uh, I totally agree. And, you know, expectations were low going in because, of course, when they're low, then you can only exceed expectations. Right. Um, it might be a little bit tougher this week because, you know, last week we went into the podcast without me having to deal with the Saturday that I had uh, there in East Lansing. Um, but still, we had some great games some upsets, some crazy finishes, and all around another great week of football uh, to talk about. So Other than got... the noon slot of games, which we'll get into here shortly as a recap, it was a sneaky good day of college football. I thought that after the noon games, I might be able to just coast and do some family things, but I found myself staying up till 10, 30, 11 o'clock uh, while Purdue was putting away and, and laying it down on Ohio State. Yeah, I uh, I didn't make it that long. It was a long day of tailgates and sodas, and so uh, I made it to halftime and called it a night on the couch. But sounds, uh, sounds like a good day still. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, not to mention, I think I think the game was already in hand at that point. Uh, you know, the Buckeyes didn't get much closer. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, today we want to go over obviously the big one at least in my heart, the Michigan-Michigan State game in East Lansing. Um, unfortunately, it didn't work out the way I wanted it to, but there's a lot that went on in that game, so we want to jump into that one to start out the show. And then, uh, obviously, we got to touch on the, the big upset in the Big Ten. It was kind of a Big Ten weekend, mm-hmm. and actually with, uh, with the bye weeks we've got, there's some other crazy, I think, Big Ten West happenings coming up this weekend. And, of course, we'll give you our picks against the spread, our upset picks, uh, to wrap up the show today. Let's get into it. Let's do it. So Saturday, obviously, I was at the game. Um, Ryan, where did you sit down to watch watch the Michigan-Michigan State game? Well, I went up to Mike D's house, my brother, to watch it with a few family members, some family friends. Uh, my wife and I arrived late. As you know, it's kind of hard to plan when, when you're going to arrive places when you have uh, a kid that's uh, 16 months old or younger. Um, so we arrived at about 12:30, right when the right when the uh, weather delay happened. So we didn't miss much, and then we just sat there, watched the game. Um, my takeaway from it is that it was a lot closer than the final score would indicate. And even though Michigan had more penalty yards than MSU did total offense on the day, Michigan State was still within striking distance and. Um, certainly had had a chance to take a, a lead on more than one occasion 
had a chance to close things out in East Lansing. They went to the fourth quarter tied 7-7, seven to seven, so a lot closer, I think, than what um, people are, are giving credit for, but still uh, a few areas of concern on Michigan State's team, I think, heading down the final stretch of the season as they're looking to get two additional wins to reach bowl eligibility and hopefully even a, a few more than that. Yeah, you bet, and, and you spoke of the 7-7 seven, seven tie that we had uh, late into the second half there, and because it was the only highlight of the day for Michigan State. Why don't we revisit the call real quickly on that touchdown? They pitch it. The reverse. The work is open. Touchdown, Spartans. Down Stewart. Mark D'Antonio pulling out another. And there you have it. It was the the double reverse throw to Brian Lewerke. It's uh, unfortunate we had to draw up a trick play just to get in the end zone and get a fumble, you know, on the 10-yard line uh, from Michigan there. But uh, it was nice to get in, get in the end zone, that's for sure. And, and I'll tell you one thing about the call. It's hard to beat good old Gus Johnson when there's, when there's a call on the football field. Um, he, he's one of the best. people do it better than sure. he does, that's oh, for sure. Gosh. Although I've heard he's a closet Michigan fan, so it's made it a little bit tougher yeah. uh, in recent history to listen to him call it. Yeah, well, when that, that play happened and it was tied up at seven after the made extra point, what were your thoughts? Obviously, everyone in Spartan Nation still felt like Michigan State was on the verge of taking over that game because up to that point, other than Michigan's lone touchdown, the Wolverines hadn't done a whole lot on offense, and it was what we thought it was going to be a, a grounded out back and forth game where field position really was the determining factor for a lot of the points that were scored on Saturday. Yeah, well, well, certainly the weather played a little part uh, or a big part in the day um, to give you to give you kind of the lead up to that moment. First of all, I got into the stadium uh, prior to the game starting. Parents were nowhere to be found. I'd went in a different entrance. Game starts five minutes in. My dad's not there. Of course, you know, him missing any minutes of uh, the Utah State game, let alone the Michigan game, never happens. Come to find out the stadium was on lockdown, anticipating the weather. Wow. And so the fans that were already in there, I guess we were the sacrificial lambs to the weather because they were not evacuating us until the storm actually hit. Mm -hmm. So come off the weather delay, which, by the way, is pretty awesome when you go to a game because you tailgate, you go in, you watch some football. Weather delay means you can leave without having another ticket and still come back in. So you go tailgate some more, and then you come back into the game. And after that, they can't hold you to that ticket. So you can still go out at halftime. <laughs> so you get a lot of breaks in there, which is, which is nice, and still get to watch the game. But you come back in, Michigan's going down to score. And that's when they get their first touchdown. And I thought a little bit of it was not everybody was back into the stadium yet. It wasn't loud. It wasn't crazy. Um, and Michigan took advantage of it to, to put the first score on the board. Mm-hmm. Certainly getting that fumble, scoring the touchdown to tie it up. The place was going nuts. Um, high fives around, pile-ups on the bleachers. And then you get the three and out. And everybody in the stadium is thinking, okay, momentum swinging you could feel it wolverines are thinking man we're gonna blow another one where we basically dominated as far as yards go up until this point and then shakur brown punt return fumbles it 
And as quick as it turned to Michigan State, the momentum switched right back to the Wolverines. And really, it was, you know, we hung around for a little bit longer after that. But basically, to me, that was where it was curtains for the Spartans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt the same way. The momentum really started to, to shift there in the fourth quarter uh, after it looked like Michigan State was right on the verge of um, possibly putting Michigan away. And like you said, there have been many instances over the past few seasons where if you look at the game on paper afterwards, Michigan was the the, the benefactor or the dominant team. But right. for whatever reason, whether it was a, a fluke play in uh, in 2015 with the, with the fumbled punt snap, um, or what have you, Michigan State did just enough to come away with a victory. And they, they were certainly within striking distance, I think, all day on Saturday. They do lose by 14, of course. But um, at the end of the day, still uh, a team that has a lot of fight and a lot of spirit in them. And I think with that, it should carry them into well into the next few weeks. I, I certainly wouldn't count Michigan State out of reaching uh, a decent bowl game still at this stage. No, and, and let me, you know, you mentioned kind of the, the tide turning. We talked about the momentum. And for me, you know, I'll give credit where credit's due. I thought Shea Patterson had a beautiful pass to uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones, and it sounded like this. Patterson. Widening up. He's got receiver. Peoples-Jones down the sideline. Peoples-Jones. Touchdown, Wolverines. 79 yards. And, and that, for you. Yeah. And and that was that was a killer because not only, you know, I, I don't know if you would have turned around sooner if you could have tipped it, but then to miss that tackle when you could have had him down at like the 40 to 50 of, of Michigan State side. Mm-hmm. Um that that's that's a backbreaker. Yep. And, and I was even actually impressed with the play calling late in the game with uh with Higdon getting the Lions share of the carries out of the Michigan backfield there were a few plays I believe even on on third down late in the game when Michigan maybe only had a seven point lead and they were trying to milk the clock where um, Patterson would would do a read option and he'd pull the ball back in and and take it for a first down Um, I was impressed not only with his arm but with his legs and he certainly has come quite a ways uh, since since game one in South Bend yeah definitely some good play calls there between Higdon and Patterson both using their legs to get some key yardage, key first downs. I will say one thing, you know, from past wins, Michigan State has kind of had uh, luck on their side when it comes down to some big plays. And I think two of the biggest plays for Michigan outside of the scoring uh, plays were the tipped passes on third downs that ended up in Gentry's hands on one, and I can't remember who caught the one in the first half, that ultimately led to that that first touchdown drive. Mm-hmm. But both of them end up leading to touchdown drives, and sometimes that's just the way it goes. That's the way uh, the cookie crumbles. <laughs> that's right. So, heck of a game. Uh, you, you know, it's hard to be mad about the game itself because it was well played. Michigan's defense is just, uh, you know, as tenacious as advertised. Mm-hmm. The linebackers were great. If you're mad about anything – as a Michigan State fan, or, or depending on you know what you believe as a Michigan fan, it was probably the pregame antics that we saw. Uh, what did you think about that? And did you see the video? Did they show it on live TV before the game started? What they were really focused on pregame was uh, was Devin Bush doing the two-step on the Sparty logo 
pregame, and then I think a little afterwards, or maybe even halfway through the game, they showed the Spartan walkthrough and some of the um, uh, instigations that the play or, or the the pushing and shoving that was involved afterwards. And Bush obviously then took his frustration out on the Sparty logo at midfield. Um, so for a while there, and again, you're right, it depends on what side you believe. Do you believe that that's what Michigan State does every single week with that walkthrough, or did they come out a little bit late while the Michigan players are still in the field and didn't give proper notification? Whatever it might be, um, the, the focus at, at the time was on Devin Bush, and it has since sort of transitioned to finger-pointing from both sides of saying, well, this team did this wrong, or, or Michigan did that wrong. As a neutral observer, somebody that doesn't have a dog in this hunt, I think it just adds to the rivalry. This is uh, a rivalry that has only become more intense over the past decade now that things have started to shift in Michigan State's favor. And maybe the pendulum is starting to swing back in Michigan's favor. But ever since Mike Hart's comments in 2007 about Michigan State being little brother and how the Spartans have responded during the D'Antonio era, I think this, this just adds fuel to the fire. And as somebody who really enjoys this game watching it from a neutral standpoint um i'm excited for all of the back and forth over the next year i know that d'antonio has tried his best to sort of shut down some of the talk from harbaugh and the michigan staff over the past few days um, as harbaugh continues to run his mouth about it being an orchestrated stormtrooper march and d'antonio <laughs> and the spartans being a bush league program um this is only going to add fuel to the fire and this is what college football rivalries are all about yeah, I, I couldn't agree more about th- this ups the rivalry for sure. Um, and, and the Stormtrooper reference from Harbaugh, uh, way to go, nerd. But, uh, you know, looking at that, Michigan State fans can't be mad about most of the stuff that went on from, you, you know, obviously you're mad about the tearing up of the logo. I certainly was mad when I saw it, you know, on, on the cell phone before the game started. But these guys are now recognizing Michigan State. Do you know how bad they wanted to win that game? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, it's, it's all over their faces. And, it's and the, the, way it's they the revenge tour, according to some of the T-shirts that the Michigan players wear around. Right. And, and Michigan and I, State I, was number one on that list. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, I, I would argue this was the biggest game of the season for them. Harbaugh cried in the locker room afterwards out of excitement for that win. You get Chase Winovich who's, you know, brings up the little brother thing again, which mm-hmm. it, that's played out. But, you know, if they want to go there, that's fine. Because once again, that's where this rivalry has went from if you go back a decade to a decade later, all the wins that MSU has had have finally gotten their attention. Um, to Even to build off of that, when they won, they took Paul Bunyan, they went over to our student section, to celebrate. Then they went to midfield again on the Spartan logo to celebrate. I heard one of the players, I don't know who it was, was was flipping the bird to the fans in the stands. You throw in the Harbaugh, you know, interaction in the locker room. Obviously, this was a big deal to them. And they had to win, especially based on how the game went. If, right. if they would have lost that game, you know, outgaining us by four times the offensive yards, I mean, that that might have been the end for Harbaugh right. uh, with, and, with such and, a bad loss. And you said it was the biggest game of Michigan's season thus far. I would also maybe argue that it was the biggest game in Harbaugh's career. A few years ago when Michigan came into East Lansing, that was the year that Michigan State went 3-9. and nine. 
you know, that's that's not a right. big win. Michigan is accustomed to beating teams with below 500 uh, records. But to come into East Lansing against a pretty formidable Michigan State team who has one of the best rush defenses in the country in a game that they needed to win over a rival, I think that was likely one of the biggest games, if not the biggest game of Harbaugh's career as head coach of Michigan. And again, props to the Wolverines for getting the job done in uh, in hostile territory against a rival. We'll see how the rest of the season plays out. They still have a couple big games coming up at Penn State and against Ohio State. Um, both of those are going to be tough matchups for them, but they got over this hurdle, and I think that saves or, or buys Harbaugh a little more time and certainly a little more favor in the eyes of the Michigan fans. Yeah, absolutely, and, and I would agree um, as far as the win goes. It's definitely the biggest win of Harbaugh's career. Not only do they get the rivalry win, but they also get the beating a ranked team on the road off their back. So with those things in mind, it's a huge win. It keeps them, you know, now they're at the top of the Big Ten race with Ohio State going down to Purdue. Um, before we move on, I would feel horrible for my Michigan State brethren if I at least didn't set the record straight from Sparty's side, from what we know. So to give you the quickest rundown I can, MSU's done this ever since D'Antonio got there. They walked from the Kellogg Center to the stadium they go past Sparty, then they go in on the field, and they do the walk. All right, they link arms, they walk the whole length of the field, and there's some symbolism behind the Spartan as well as just being one, being together. Haven't um, you so, seen 300? Yeah, exactly. Thank you. But, it, you know, you might think it's silly. I've heard some, some analyst, uh, <clears throat> McElroy, on, uh, you know, SiriusXM, they think it's goofy and silly, but every college team, come on, turnover chains, turnover thrones, everybody's doing something to, to provide some unity to the team. And so that's what this is, and that's how State does it. But they usually leave at 945. They tell every team their schedule, and everybody knows. They left at 947, two minutes late. Michigan still knew what was going on. They get to the field. Eight players are on the field not dressed in their uniforms. Keep in mind, the pregame warm-up for everybody is 90 minutes before game time, which would have been at 10.30. They get there at 10.02, again, two minutes later than the 10 o'clock uh, time frame they gave Harbaugh. Ken Manny, the strength coach for MSU, asked the players if they can move aside so they can do the walk. They refuse. They also have coaches of their own on the field at that time. Let me know as well what eight guys are out there warming up. He said that they needed to do some pregame warm-ups before the actual pregame warm-up. But eight guys out of a 74-man roster, that's how big the travel roster is. So the, the other 66 guys just said, you know, F you, Harbaugh, I'm not going out there. What, you know, why aren't they out there on the field? Right. It would have been way more fun for the cameras to capture a 74 on 74 <laughs> melee at midfield. But instead, all they got was a few uh, Michigan State players. Or I'm sorry, a few Michigan players playing Red Rover with the entire Michigan State roster. Yeah. And, and that touches on the clotheslines that Jim Harbaugh, you just couldn't imagine that that would happen. He must be watching a different WWE or WWF than what we all grew up watching, because if that's a clothesline, man. That's that's Bush League. That's what that is. Mm -hmm. But uh, anyways, that's that's from the MSU point of view. I think D'Antonio did not plan on that happening. But once it started to happen, he was like, this is perfect. Right. And I think Harbaugh sent those guys out there 
to stir some stuff up. So I think both teams are at fault. Sure. Um, Jim Delaney came out tonight, so very timely for us, and fined MSU $10,000 and reprimanded uh, – good old Jimmy and Devin Bush. So I don't know what the, the reprimand was uh, probably, you know, a little slap on the behind, but uh, I guess Delaney's siding with the Wolverines uh, at least on this one. No surprise yeah. here though. <laughs> yeah. No surprise there. What I will say in closing on this subject, because I know most Michigan state fans are probably of the same mindset as Mark D'Antonio. Let's squash this topic. Let's move on. We have Purdue coming up on Saturday and a pretty big, uh, big 10 game, big conference game for both opponents. But Jim Harbaugh, Mark D'Antonio is clearly still in his head. Michigan State is clearly still in his head. Rather than moving on and saying how proud he is of his team for accomplishing one of their goals they set out for the year, he's still harping back on some of these pregame antics. Um, he could be looking ahead on the bye week on what they have left to do in the Big Ten. But Michigan State, they are the devil on their shoulder and I think will continue to be as long as Harbaugh is coaching and he's uh, kind of proven to everybody that he's a mental beta. Yeah. Well, I, I, I wouldn't put it past Harbaugh though, with a bye week to be thinking, I want to keep Michigan state's mind on the game that already happened as long as I can this week, because obviously there's a big test with the Boilermakers coming to town this Saturday after they just knocked off Ohio state mm-hmm. and MSU, you know, there's rumors that I, I mean, I don't think they're rumors anymore. I think it's fact that Lewerke was hurt in the Michigan game. No excuse. They still, you know, they shouldn't have won the game. But he didn't throw in practice all week leading up to the game. He might not play against Purdue. Felton Davis tears his Achilles in the first half of the game over the weekend. We've still got a bunch of other guys coming back from injury. LJ Scott should be. You know, all right, I don't think he re-injured anything in the Michigan game. But, you know, you had mentioned where does MSU go from here. They've got some big games with Purdue. They've got Ohio State and Rutgers. Those are all home games. And then they got to travel to Maryland and Nebraska, which, you know, shouldn't be tall tasks, although Nebraska had a great showing uh, getting their first win against Minnesota. But if you don't have your key players, every game outside of Rutgers is tough, isn't it? I agree. I think even looking at the schedule, going to Maryland, going to Nebraska, Nebraska has been impressive the last few weeks with with what they've been able to do on offense. Last week was the first time against Minnesota, I think, all year that they really stopped anybody defensively. But if they continue to put up 500 plus yards and uh, Adrian Martinez continues to play at a high level for uh, such a, a young freshman quarterback, that game could be tricky. Maryland has already proven they can knock off top opponents like they did in week one against Texas this year. And then Ohio State coming to town, Purdue coming to town this weekend. None of the games outside of Rutgers, like you mentioned, are gimmies. But I do think Michigan State, with the talent that they have, with the rush defense that they have, regardless of the injuries they've accumulated throughout the year, they can still certainly navigate or find a way to reach bowl eligibility right now. I actually have them projected to face Kentucky in the Outback bowl on new year's day. So I'm still fairly high on Michigan state for the remainder of the year, even if they sit at a four and three record right now and things are looking uh, a little gloom and doom for Spartan nation. Well, I, I hope you're right because if we get a new year's day game, you know, that's, that's all I could ask for right now with the injuries with some losses we shouldn't have had. I, I think that would be perfect. And it'd keep us on the map, I think, going into next year. 
Um, so that would be great. Let's and transition you, now. And it'll give you a reason to wake up on New Year's Day. <laughs> yeah, right? Instead of just watch everybody else have fun. Right. But let's transition now to their opponent, Purdue, who had a massive, massive blowout win over the Buckeyes. And uh, if you watch the game, there was one play. I mean, there were a lot of big plays, but there was one play where a true freshman, uh, is it Rondell Moore? Rondell Moore, yep. Had a run where he went into beast mode, and we've got the, the noise for you here. They work the play clock all the way down. Moore in motion. They get it to him. Moore in space. A burst of speed. A place down for Purdue. He's still going. Moore, touchback. The and only that problem run, with that, the only problem with that clip is that Gus Johnson was not announcing it. <laughs> yeah, I I agree with you. That run was just oh, it was ridiculous. So cool. But uh, what what in the hell happened to them to the Buckeyes? It was a weird game. I stayed up for it. I was expecting to go to bed by halftime. E- even in our pick'em set that we have on Yahoo with about twenty other guys. I picked Ohio State to cover 13 and a half points. And I figured I came into the week thinking 13 and a half points, knowing that Purdue has had a little bit of trouble offensively early on in the season. They dropped their first three games of the year to teams like Northwestern and Missouri. You know that those aren't uh, those aren't cupcake opponents by any means, but they just didn't look good the first three weeks coming into Ohio State. They were on a three game win streak. But it was one of those games where Purdue was up by halftime. I was just waiting for the Buckeyes to get back into it, get, in, get into some type of offensive rhythm, make a few key stops. It just never happened. Ohio State had five red zone trips. They only converted on two of those red zone trips. They had a 40% red zone conversion against the Boilermakers on Saturday night. That was their lowest on the year. They just couldn't punch the ball in. They gained 546 yards of offense compared to Purdue's 539 yards of total offense. But uh, when it came time to put the ball in the end zone or make a key stop, they couldn't get it done. Whereas Purdue, they were capitalizing on every single opportunity they had with playmakers like Rondell Moore. Yeah, I should have known you were going to have those stats uh, because they're, they're crazy for that game. Like you said, Ohio State outgains Purdue. They have more time of possession. They have more first downs than Purdue. The only thing they lost in, besides the score, was they had one turnover uh, to, to Purdue's none. Granted, that turnover was a pick six, mm-hmm. um, so it put some points on the board. But, gosh, you would have thought at least this game would be closer than, than four touchdowns. Sure. Yeah, even if Purdue converts on, I'm sorry, even if Ohio State converts on the three red zone trips that they missed, that still puts them down by eight points, you know, 49 to 41, 49 to 42 uh, towards the end of the game. So I don't think the game could have gone any better for Purdue. It certainly could not have gone any worse for Ohio State. But this is the second year in a row where we've seen the Buckeyes go on the road against a team that they were favored to beat by double digits. And they can't, for whatever reason, get the job done. They lost by double digits last year to Iowa on the road. This year they get blown out at Purdue, 49 to 20. Um, strange situation that they're in right now. Urban Meyer in in an awkward situation, I think, unfamiliar territory for a lot of Ohio State fans having this happen back-to-back years, whereas last year it seemed like a fluke. But maybe that's just the MO for Ohio State or sort of how they operate. They they come for some of the, the 
big games, but they overlook opponents like Purdue every now and then, just like they did Iowa last year, and they pay the, the heavy price for it. Yeah, I, I think the scary thing with this game is that you mentioned the Iowa blowout. There were, I believe, five turnovers that Iowa had You know that they took from the Buckeyes in that game. So when you have that many turnovers, oftentimes you're going to see a lopsided score. But with only one turnover in this game, you know that the bugaboo that I see with the Buckeyes is they're giving up big plays. They're giving up. I forget the stat I heard. You might have it uh, knowing you, but the amount of 40-yard-plus plays that they're giving up, they're doing it at an astronomical pace, especially for a Buckeye team that's got, you know, starters in the NFL on their team every single year. When you look at the Purdue touchdowns, three of them were a 42-yard run by Knox, who had three touchdowns on Saturday, another 40-yard run by Knox, and then that 43-yard swing pass to Moore that he took to the house. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, when you've got plays that are going for 40-plus yards, it's going to be hard to keep teams out of the end zone but it's also going to be hard to to keep pace with those teams because obviously they're scoring quickly. Yep, you're right on two things. One, it's very difficult to win a game if you're allowing big chunk plays of 40-plus yards or more. Uh, the second thing you're right on is I do have that stat in front of me. Ohio State, they've allowed 13 40-plus yard plays on the season. That's 113th in the nation. Compare that to a team like Washington, who ranks first in the nation. They've only allowed one play of 40 yards or more on the year. I love when I'm right about you being right, right on. I love when you're right about me (laughs) being right about your premonition. Yeah. This is no BS here, man. We do some homework. We watch some games. You know, maybe we steal a couple things here and there, but we get it done. We borrow. Yeah, Yeah. borrow. Yeah. (laughs) So, well, we don't have our own, you know, 47 million staff members running around checking on stats for us. We got to do our own homework here. We need to hire the bear, Chris Falica, on our staff. I don't think we could pay him in uh, in like cupcakes or uh, or uh, oatmeal pies, but he might go yeah, for that. I, I could make that happen. Yeah. So with that loss, the question is, is, is last year we saw the Iowa loss and it, it took the Bucks out mm-hmm. of the playoff. Do we see the same thing, assuming the Buckeyes win out? Clearly, if they lose another game, that's curtains for the Buckeyes. But if they win out, they clip Michigan and they clip Wisconsin, Iowa, Northwestern, Purdue, uh, which which I think we'll get into here in a second, get into the West for a second. Can they make it in if they win out? I think they can still make it in despite the blowout loss. They will probably still need some help from other teams in other conferences. What it could come down to is a one-loss Big Ten champ in Ohio State versus a one-loss Big 12 champ in Oklahoma. And if you compare the losses that the two teams have, Oklahoma lost to Texas 48-45 to in a rivalry game that was that had a lot of national attention, and Texas looks like they, are, uh, they could be back this year. They only have one loss on the season, um, but that's a tough game for, for Oklahoma every single year, even if, even if Texas had come into that matchup with zero wins, which they certainly didn't. Um, that would have been a tough matchup for Oklahoma. Compare that to Ohio State going on the road at Purdue. If they had lost that game by a field goal or a touchdown, 
you may be able to make the case that it's a comparable loss to Oklahoma dropping one to Texas, but the fact that they lost by 29 points on the road, they're going to need help elsewhere. Um, we like to say teams control their own destiny. I don't think Ohio State controls their own destiny, but they do just need to focus on the task at hand, and that's winning out. And if they win out, I still think they have a decent shot at making the playoff. Yeah, yeah. I, I, like you said, I, I, mean, I totally agree with you. You're going to go up against other one-loss teams that have better losses and were more competitive in a game with probably a better team. Now, we might be way off when the season ends, and, and the one thing we may be way off with, which is kind of the next topic we want to get into, is Purdue. Purdue might go run the table now in the Big West. They've got on their schedule. Obviously, they play Michigan State. They've also got Wisconsin. They've got Iowa at Minnesota at Indiana. Indiana finishes up the season for that in-state rivalry. So they really have an opportunity to, to knock off Wisconsin and Iowa, who are two of the other three teams with one loss, Northwestern being the fourth team in the West with one loss. So they've got, they've got some control over their own destiny. To give you a quick rundown, and then I want to hear what you think on if they can run the table, Wisconsin's got Northwestern this weekend, Purdue, uh, Penn State, and then a rivalry matchup with Minnesota at the end of the year. They've also had one of the craziest uh, away game slates in the Big Ten at Michigan, Iowa, Penn State, Purdue, and Northwestern, by the way, which is just, that's a tough road. Uh, then you've got Northwestern, who's going to have Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin. And Iowa's got Purdue, Northwestern, Nebraska. Now, there's a couple other games in there because obviously we're not, you know, we're not down to three games left. But if Illinois or Rutgers showed up on their schedule, I did not mention them for the obvious reasons. <laughs> so we've got a big, basically it's a round robin with these four one-loss teams in the West. I had mentioned I thought Iowa would come out on top. After seeing Purdue against Ohio State, even if they don't beat Michigan State, I still could see them winning it, and, and I'd like to think they could win out. I actually think they'll beat Michigan State. Um, so, yeah, I'm on the bandwagon. Boiler up. I'm there. I'm with you on Boiler Up. I'm a big fan of Purdue right now. Um, maybe you don't want to say that until after this weekend, uh, after the game in East Lansing. But It's okay. Yeah. It is what it is, right? But, yeah. yeah, after the Michigan State game, so you had mentioned their remaining schedule. They go at Michigan State this week. Then they have Iowa, at Minnesota, Wisconsin, and at Indiana. Their two toughest games they have remaining in the schedule against two ranked teams in Iowa and Wisconsin, they're both at home. And if Ohio State is any indication, uh, maybe West Lafayette is a difficult place to play the way that the Boilermakers have been playing lately. Um, they started off their, their four-game win streak with a home win against Boston College. They capped that four-game win streak off with a 49-20 to 20 win over Ohio State. So I could certainly see a scenario where the Boilermakers, even if they do pick up an additional loss, if they beat both Iowa and Wisconsin, they'll own that Big Ten West tiebreaker, and they'll be a shoe-in for the Big Ten championship game in Indy come December. Yeah, I agree, and, and I actually would like to see the Boilermakers, imagine if they go play Ohio State again in Indy. That will be exciting. Um, I think Urban Meyer might have his team prepare a little bit harder uh, than they did this first time around. Uh, but even against Michigan, it would be fun to see an offense 
that's been running at such a clip lately go play you know the best defense in the Big Ten and one of the better defenses in the nation. So either way, um, just don't give me Wisconsin in there again because whoever they play from the East, even if Michigan State somehow, and and I do have a scenario, I don't think I'll go over it, but you know, even if Michigan State made it somehow, I just Wisconsin's garbage. I don't want to see them again. So hopefully we get Purdue. Um, Northwestern is kind of boring as well. So maybe Purdue or Iowa. But I think, I, I think we're both the, pulling. Yeah, I think Purdue's the most exciting team. If you had to pinpoint an exciting team to watch out of the Big Ten West, you have Iowa. I mean, are you really tuning into an Iowa game unless it's a noon start and you have nothing to do until an 8 p.m. game time on a Saturday afternoon? Wisconsin's boring to watch. Northwestern just beat Rutgers by three points. They're pretty oh, boring gosh. to watch. On Purdue's four-game win streak, their quarterback, since they switched quarterbacks to David Blau, starting with the Boston College game, he's uh, the offense is averaging 509.5 yards per game. He's averaging 355 pass yards during that four-game win streak, and he's thrown 13 touchdowns to just two interceptions on the year. So Purdue is by far the most exciting team in the Big Ten West. If I had to jump on a bandwagon for anybody out of that division, it would certainly be the Boilermakers. Last week when we went through our, uh, you know, should we walk back some of our, our preseason predictions or are you doubling down on those? You had mentioned Iowa as potential Big Ten West champ going into Indian facing Ohio State or Michigan or whatever crazy scenario you're drawing up in your head with the Spartans. <laughs> but I, I would be more inclined to actually right now to say I think Iowa has the not maybe not an inside track, but I think they would likely be the team out of the Big Ten West to make the championship game as much as you and I and others around the nation would not want to see that. Yeah, you bet. I mean, it's, it's going to be actually a fun, you know, we, we thought about the West and certainly there's not the most exciting football out of there, but I don't think anybody ever thought the West race would be as exciting as it, as it has turned into being here going in. uh, You know, we've got week, uh, week nine here coming up and we've got, one hell of a race. There were many so. people, including myself, who thought Wisconsin might be 12-0 and again going into that Big Ten championship yeah. game in Indianapolis. Hasn't turned out that way. I'm glad it hasn't turned out that way because there's nothing like a Big Ten West race that comes down to the wire. Am I right? Oh, absolutely. That's what we and, live for. Uh, and Wisconsin could end up 7-5. and five. Think about that. Right. We could take a 12 and 0 team that everybody had slated to just run through the West and they could go seven and five. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe, maybe fans in Michigan can go watch them, uh, you know, at Ford field over the holidays. I mean, that's how Little bad it's get, get your $5 hot and ready. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, it's been, it, it could be crazy, but they, they've had a tough road. So needless to say, the big 10 has been, been fun to watch. All the conferences have been fun to watch. Um, unfortunately, this this 45 minute time frame that we try to stick to goes by so damn fast that I think we got to get into our against the spread picks and, uh, you know, let the people know where to put the money. I agree. I get so jazzed up for this section last week. I'm not sure. I did not take a look at how you performed. You you usually perform pretty well every week. So I'm, I'm going to guess you were above 500 um, last week. I was two and one against the spread. 2-0 on the point totals with the over and under, so I'm hoping to ride that hot hand into Week 9 for college football action. I, I think I ended up 2-3. and three. I know Texas Tech covered on Kansas. Obviously, Purdue uh, covered on their 13-and-a-half. 
Great call MSU on your part. Let, yeah, MSU let me down. Uh, Northwestern really let me down, and then Penn State let me down. They all yeah. they all came out and laid big eggs, and uh, at least for Wildcats and Nittany Lions, their teams came out with the W. So, yep. Yep. Uh, but to start, I've got this one's this one's going to be on my upset picks. It's a hot take here, not really maybe, but Arizona State at USC. They've, they're getting six and a half points, and it's my understanding that the first string, JT Daniels, and the second string, who does not have a name, or I just don't know it, is also hurt. So USC's got their third stringer running out there. I just don't see that going very well for the Trojans. So I'm going to take Arizona State to cover. And as I mentioned, they're going to be in my upset pick, so I think they're going to win that game outright. And get on that pick now before Vegas starts to adjust those numbers. Like you said, JT Daniels and the backup who we cannot name off the top of our heads. I, I don't even know if that would come up in a quick Google search. I'd probably have to go to like the third page. But they only gained just over 200 yards last week against Utah with JT Daniels in the game. So I think that's a great pick on your part. Yeah, and get on there before I put all my money on it because I'm going to, you know, it's going to be enough money to move that point spread. <laughs> my bets will not be nearly enough to move any needle whatsoever, but I will stick in the Pac 12 with my first pick. This is a Friday night matchup. Utah going on the road at UCLA. Utah is one of those teams nobody's really talking about, but they only have one loss on the season. They are kind of a dark horse in the Pac 12. Right now, they have the number one total defense in the conference. I just mentioned they held USC last week to 205 total yards of offense, which was the worst offensive production for the Trojans since facing Alabama in 2016. So this this Utah defense is the real deal. Uh, if you remember the name Wilton Spate, does that ring a bell for you? Unfortunately. He's, well, actually, fortunately. <laughs> yeah, fortunately for Michigan State fans. Well, Unfortunately for the Bruins, he's going to get the start this week, it looks like. Their starting quarterback, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, the true freshman DTR, it looks like he's going to be out with a shoulder injury. And Spate running a Chip Kelly offense, I think we all know how that's going to go. Utah is favored by 10.5 points on the road. I think they get the win and cover. Utah 37, UCLA 21, take the Utes with the points. Yeah, I think that's a great pick as well. I will. I don't know if you mentioned this. Their only losses are to the state of Washington. So they did drop to Washington and Washington State. But since losing right. those yep. games, since losing those back to back, and the Washington State was four points and it was at mm-hmm. Washington State, which we found out thanks to Oregon, that's a tough place to play yep. out there in Pullman. But since then, they dropped 40 on Stanford, 42 on Arizona, and 41, as you just mentioned, on USC. So they've got a solid defense, and they can put points up. Uh, I think that's a great pick. I'm going next to the biggest matchup, I think, of the weekend, unless you're trying to stay inside the Big Ten. And I'm going with the biggest cocktail party there is, Florida, Georgia. Florida's welcoming in the Bulldogs. They're getting seven at home. Um, I told myself not to put too much on that blowout that Georgia had against LSU. But I just think it's one of those years every coach has a magical season. Um, not every coach, I'm sorry, but every, every season we have a coach that has a magical uh, season. And I think that's Dan Mullen this time around. I think he's figured it out. Obviously, the cupboard wasn't bare. And having it in the swamp 
where every fan there is rejuvenated with the wins they've had so far this year. Um, the East, the SEC East is on the line. Uh, so I think Florida at least keeps it close. I don't know if I can pull the, call the upset on this one, but I think it'll be a barn burner. Mm-hmm. I agree. I look forward to that game every single year, especially when both teams are ranked in the top 10. I think I saw on ESPN today, That's the it's the first time both teams are ranked in the top 10 since 2008. Wow. And the biggest cocktail party, Florida, Georgia, if you're a huge college football fan like you and I are, I think that has to be on everybody's bucket list to attend at least one of those rivalry games in their lifetime. Oh, absolutely. I might have to wait 18 years till the kids grow up, but uh, would love to get out to that game. Now, a game that you could easily attend this weekend would be Army at Michigan. And that's, I'm sorry, Army at Eastern Michigan in good old Ypsilanti. Oh, that yeah. game is my second pick of the weekend. Eastern Michigan right now favored by two points. I'm a little uh, skeptical of that line. I'm not sure quite what the desert is thinking. Obviously, there are much smarter people making those decisions out west than me sitting here doing a, a podcast on a Wednesday evening at 10:15 with my good buddy Bruce. But Army leads the country in rush attempts per game. They attempt about 67 runs a game. They also lead the country in time of possession. Just over 39 minutes a game, they hold on to the ball. They're also fourth in the nation in third down conversion. Just over 53% of their uh, third downs are converted into first downs. I think that's a huge difference maker here. They control the ball. They move the chains on third down. They're not going to hit you with big plays, but they are going to move the chains and keep the opposing defense out there on the field as long as possible. And that wears down a defense over the course of four quarters in a game. Army's quarterback, who missed last week's game against Miami of Ohio, Kelvin Hopkins Jr., he's expected back this week. And the formula is simple. Take care of the ball, win the time of possession battle. I think Army gets a W here. They cover the two-point spread. I'm taking Army 28, Eastern Michigan 25. Give me Army plus two in that one in Ypsilanti. I like that. Army's been playing real well. And as you mentioned, to try to put up with that offense for a whole day, especially when you don't see it week in and week out, that's a, that's a tough task. For my, for my third pick, I'm going out to the Pac-12. I'm taking the brother-in-law squad, Washington. They've, they're laying 11 and a half at Cal. Um, Cal's been anything but spectacular this year. They've been blown out a couple times. And obviously, Washington, I think people are sleeping on them a little bit uh, because of the recent hiccup with Oregon. But uh, I look for them to bounce back and uh, with a good defense and a balanced offense to take care of Cal pretty easily in that one. Excellent pick. You're picking all these exciting Power 5 matchups. I'm going to stay in the group of five and go with UAB at UTEP with the Miners getting 16 points as the home dog. You think Rutgers fans have it bad. UTEP, if they lose on Saturday to UAB, it'll be their 20th consecutive loss. I would pick those those games, but I've never even heard of either of those teams. Excellent. I didn't either until I looked at some lines and read up a little bit on both teams. Well, you probably haven't heard of UAB because they didn't have a football program two years ago. Yeah, I was joking. I, I have heard of them a little bit. Um, I'm pretty sure UTEP makes their way into the bottom 10 there on ESPN every single week. So They've, they've probably been there for 20 consecutive losses, which they're about to pick up their 20th consecutive loss. They only have lost the last four games by single digits, but they are on their third quarterback of the season. UAB, the Blazers, come in with the second-ranked defense in the Conference USA and the number three 
total offense, whereas UTEP, they're dead last in the conference in turnover margin and 12th out of 14 in total offense. So UAB right now, they're playing very well. They have the inside track to win the Conference USA West Division despite having their football program disbanded and then uh, and then uh, re-entering the world of FBS football just a couple of years ago. Um, UTEP did lose to UAB last year, 28-7. to They only were able to gain 208 yards of total offense. So UTEP, while they've only lost the last four games by single digits, they may be slightly improved. UAB is vastly improved this season, which is why I'm taking UAB to cover the 16-point spread. Give me the Blazers 34, the Miners 10, and that Conference USA action just keeps getting better by the week. Yeah, and things keep keep getting worse for the UTEP Miners. I'm going to stay Power 5, like you said, and I'm going to go over to the SEC. We've got Texas A&M going to Mississippi State and all the cowbell you can handle. I think Jimbo Fisher's squad is a little bit underrated. Obviously, the losses so far you know, are coming against uh, Clemson and Bama, um, which nobody really expects you to beat them anyways. And they've given them a good run. I mean, even though you know, they lost by 22 to Bama, I think that still holds as the, the closest game <laughs> that the Tide has had so far. So Texas A&M's get two and a half points on the road. Certainly a tough place to play when you got to hear those Cowboys clanging all uh, afternoon, but I, I think the defense that Texas A&M has, coupled with the lack of offense that we saw Mississippi State take on the road to LSU last week, Nick Fitzgerald can't throw the ball. I just think it's a recipe for disaster, and the Aggies come away with probably even a double-digit win there at Mississippi State. I actually had this game typed up, written down, researched everything, and I also took Texas A&M to cover the spread, but I erased it in order to put in what I thought was a more valuable play, an easier play for our betters who are looking to get down with some money, maybe win a little cash this weekend, and that's Boise State at Air Force. Air Force, they are getting 9.5 points at home, but the Falcons have been Boise State's kryptonite over the last few seasons. From 2014 to 2016, the Falcons actually won three straight in the series, and they are 3-3 three and three all time against the Broncos, which I, I did not know until I researched it at about 5 o'clock uh, this evening when I was getting ready for dinner. Um, but both defenses, they're allowing right around 345 yards per game. The big difference in this one, I think, is that the Broncos, they have the upper hand offensively. They're averaging about 480 yards a game uh, in total offense compared to Air Force, where they're averaging about 385 yards a game. So even though Air Force, they do like to control the clock and they have the number one ranked uh, team in terms of time of possession in the Mountain West, um, they are going to be without their career rushing leader, Ronald Cleveland, who looks like he may miss significant time, possibly even the rest of the season with a leg injury and given air force's recent success against the broncos i don't think this is going to be a a uh, conference matchup that they're going to overlook so i'll take boise state to lay the points nine and a half give me the broncos 37 falcons 24 nice i actually was looking at on our pick em, wondering which way i would go um so maybe i'll take a page out of your book and uh and go ahead and pick the falcons or um, fan me hard and go the other way yeah, I could do that. I, I don't know. I, I, I like your take on that. I think that Boise State, I think they got a little lucky with some timely turnovers and a crazy punt return if you didn't see it against Colorado State last week. 
the Boise State guy fumbled it, and then another guy picked it up and took it the rest, you know, the other 50 yards to the end zone, and that kind of that kind of put the game away early in the in the first half there. It's that blue field magic. Sometimes you need that to pull away with a with a Mountain West W. Yeah, where in the hell are like the purple fields, the red fields? Why aren't people taking this up and uh, just changing their field colors? I'm just glad Michigan State got in front of getting that green field early. Yeah, that was a good move. I I think that was a good move. My last one, Power Five again, Washington State's at Stanford. And they're getting three points after the big victory, of course, at home against the Ducks. But I've watched some Stanford games, even the Arizona State game this past weekend. Um, I was a Friday nighter. And I just feel like Stanford gets lucky. And, you know, Bryce is Bryce Love hasn't been doing much. He's been in and out with injuries. Um, I just think Washington State is the better team here. Now, could they run into some bad luck? Or could Mike Leach do some pirate thing and just screw up the whole game? Yeah, he could. But I think the Cougars are going to ride this high that they had from last weekend. They've actually got a serviceable defense, which is something they've never had under Leach. And so I think they're going to come out with the W. uh, And when you're getting points, and I think you're the better team, that's an easy pick for me. So I'll take the Cougars for the victory. That was another game that I was looking at and, and thinking about putting in, including in as my pick set this week was Washington State and Stanford. I love your pick. I agree. We're not accustomed to seeing a Mike Leach team have a good defense, but that's sort of been the difference maker this year for the Cougars, and hopefully that continues. And, and if I had to pick that one, I would also align with you in taking the Cougars um, to cover that spread. My final game uh, that I'm taking this weekend out of my five picks I'm going to go to the Big Ten with a Power 5 matchup. Purdue at Michigan State with the Spartans laying one and a half points at home. Michigan State, they're they're banged up right now, and I think they get Purdue at sort of a bad time in the season. The reason why I think Michigan State is still laying one and a half points and they're the home favorite here, I think this is a little bit of situational handicapping from the folks out in the desert. Everyone's expecting Purdue to come into this one, maybe lay an egg with a little bit of a letdown game after a huge emotional win over Ohio State. But I think that Michigan State's injuries will catch up to them for the second straight week. They have issues on the offensive line. They're missing their top two receivers. The work is still listed as probable. We're not quite sure who is going to be under center for the Spartans on Saturday. Purdue has the fourth-ranked rush defense in the Big Ten. Michigan State has the 14th-ranked pass defense. Obviously, Michigan State wants to run the ball. Purdue wants to pass the ball. But if MSU can't win this one through the air, I think they're going to struggle. It's going to come down once again to quarterback play, whereas last week you had mentioned whoever has the better day at quarterback between Shea Patterson and Brian Lewerke, that team would likely end up winning. This week, I think it's going to come down to Purdue's David Blau against whoever Michigan State trots out there on the field to play under center for all four quarters. I trust Purdue in this one. I'm going to take them to cover the one and a half point spread. I'll take Purdue 28, Michigan State 21. Yeah, unfortunately, I think you're right on track with that pick as well. And That's a good segue into a quick rundown of the upsets that I see happening this weekend if you want to do a little five-team upset parlay. And Purdue's one of those teams. Boston College has the Hurricanes coming to town. It's a night game, Friday night. I just think that's uh, 
uh, recipe for disaster for the Hurricanes. They haven't been playing well. Arizona State, I mentioned. Texas A&M, I mentioned. And Washington State, I mentioned. So that rounds out the five teams that I would go with. There might be some other sneaky ones in there. I could see Kansas maybe pulling a crazy win out of their hat against TCU this weekend. TCU has lost some players to injury. They've lost some games. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think that's just piling up on the Horn Frogs there. So that could be a sneaky one, but uh, I, don't have a, I don't have enough disposable income to throw, throw it at that game. Mm-hmm. And what folks don't know, because we've only been doing this podcast now for two weeks, but a few weeks ago, you were one point away from hitting on a $1 parlay that would have netted you, what, 130 150 bucks with uh, when Penn State dropped it to Ohio State. But you, you took Penn State that day along with a few other teams, and, and that would have netted you, netted you a nice, uh, nice chunk of change. Yeah, I always throw the $5 one out there just for betters, and I think that was, yeah, closer to 700 bucks. So I, I've missed a couple here and there. I had one last year where Stanford had to beat San Diego State by three, and I would have won $800. And sure enough, I wake up midway through the uh, the night, and uh, San Diego State pulled it out. So and I've told that's why it's that gambling. I- and I've told everyone that I can, you know, it's it's five bucks. Listen to Baruki's Bovada parlay of upsets. If you can't, if you're crunched for cash, you can't afford the five dollars. Skip out on that caramel macchiato cappuccino from Starbucks on a Friday. Put that five dollars where that money is going to at some point hit and have a huge return on investment. But I love the parlay of upsets every single week, and I think you might be onto something this week with your five picks. You got it. Get that money. Is that the soundboard? Uh, oh, you betcha. Oh, that's a beautiful sound right there. Cha-ching! <laughs> just, just know that week in, week out, we're trying to upgrade, get better, and uh, make it better to listen to for everybody that's tuning in, which we already decided was five or six people maybe. <laughs> but you're right. It's, it's, about, it's just like your favorite college football team. It's about improving week to week, and at the end of the year, hopefully you have a good product that you can look back on and be proud of. That's right. And so we'll wrap up with one request from people listening. We do want a theme song, but we don't want to decide on it. So if anybody has a good idea, suggestion for what we should roll into each episode with, we welcome it. So please let us know. You can say something on the blog site, huntwithbruce.com. If you have our numbers, shoot us a text, Facebook, whatever works. But we'd love to hear from anybody that's listening. Uh, what would be a good theme song. And don't leave that decision up to us because that's probably one that we wouldn't make very well. Yeah, no. You, you don't want us to make it. It won't be a It'd good It'd probably one. be the Michigan State fight song. Yeah, or until further notice, we're living off a of girl talk, so that's what's going down. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for tuning in. Hopefully you got some good info and relieve some stressed Michigan State fans from that tough loss on Saturday. Uh, Hunt with Bruce out. Later. Let's go.